You're listening to Full Steam Ahead, a podcast about Purdue with Adam Bartels. Welcome to Full Steam Ahead, a podcast about Purdue. It is an exciting time as it is finally game week for the 2021 edition of Purdue Football. And it is my privilege to welcome back to the podcast, the president and publisher of Golden Black Illustrated, Alan Karpik. Alan, welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing well. And anytime on game week, it's always fun to, to you know, gosh, we're what, uh, 96 hours away, but who's counting, at least as we record. And I think, I, you know, that's the fun part of this. If you don't like the game week and the game week atmosphere and getting ready for that game one, no matter what is going on in the world, uh, you're in the wrong business. So, yeah, there's a lot of excitement about what we're going to see on Saturday night in Ross H Stadium. That is for sure. I'm excited to talk about this upcoming week in the season. And it's great to have you back on. It's been way too long since we've gotten to talk a lot about Purdue sports. Hopefully we'll see a more normal year for Purdue and the rest of the Big Ten and the NCAA. Real quick before we jump into this year, I just want to kind of go back and we don't spend a lot of time on it, but just kind of take us back to the 2020 season, which was obviously a very bizarre, shortened, kind of off uh, your normal uh, path of a football season. But let's kind of briefly touch on that. Your thoughts on uh, what happened last season. Well, I, I think it's it's easy for a lot of people to dismiss last year completely just because, and we don't know, you know, I know teams, Indiana, Purdue, you know, down the stretch, we didn't have any idea how many how many uh, kids were, players were, were able to play. So it was a bizarre year. Um, I thought Purdue got off to, obviously got off to a good start with an impressive win over Iowa. Things looked good. They kind of held serve at Illinois. They didn't play well in the second half. And then uh, you know, Northwestern, that was a game that uh, Northwestern really had Purdue kind of in control, though Purdue had a shot. And then the Minnesota game with a, with a tough call in the, in the, in the uh, uh, end zone to throw to Payne Durham that probably, if not definitely, shouldn't have been a pass interference. If you make that play, things would be different. But how do you evaluate that in the, in the middle of a pandemic? Hard to know. So, uh, you know, part of me says let's, we're going to wash away last year because it's hard to know. And really, when you look back at 19 for Purdue, I mean, how many teams, Adam, do you see get uh, get their two best offensive players, maybe their two best players injured on the same play in, of course, Elijah Sindelar and uh, Rondale Moore? So I don't want to dismiss that completely, but I think Purdue was better than a four and eight team that year. Uh, were they better than two and four last year? Yeah, probably. But we're going to that's what presents the opportunity for 2021 in where Purdue plays and how it plays and can it get that ship righted to back to where you were basically on whatever it was October 20th 2018 that's what Purdue would like to retarget refocus on where they were at that point in time for sure yeah you mentioned last season I I kind of think it's a wash and just because I was just grateful to have some football you know obviously it was yeah. disappointing how it kind of turned sideways um I mean, you mentioned 2019 as well the two players that injured on the same play and then some people forget Marcus Bailey gets injured in practice. Correct. Lorenzo Neal misses the whole season. And I think, and, and there's others, you know, you have pretty much all your captains miss most, if not the entire season. That was, you know, something you don't, you know, you rarely ever see too. So, you know, that kind of unfortunately, you know, dinged the, the 2019 season. And then again, you know, like I said, I kind of like to throw out last season, but unfortunately it does matter for some people because, Coach Brom had to make a lot of changes in the offseason, especially on the right. defensive side of the ball. Talk about some of those uh, coaching staff staffing changes that he made and how those will hopefully positively affect uh, this upcoming season. 
Well, I think, Adam, it makes a huge difference in terms of where this program has the potential to go. Um, I think he knew he had to make, make a, a change last year from, the, from Bob Diaco, the defensive coordinator. Not necessarily. If you look at the numbers, the numbers aren't horrible. They're not good, but they're not horrible. And you did some good things early in the year. I guess certainly against Iowa, you made some plays at the right time. And, and you know, Derek Barnes is playing the NFL partly because of Bob Diaco's defense. Now, Derek Barnes is a talented player and deserves his own stuff. So, uh, you know, I think that the four new defensive coaches are an important, important thing, uh, certainly. Uh, Jeff Brom, Coach Jeff Brom in his fifth season needed to make a change get some stability and they've had a revolving door a little bit on the defensive side of the ball and got guys that were all, I think all of them, except for maybe one was actually, were actually older than Jeff Brom. I think that's a good thing. I think coaches need mentors. I think they need guys in the staff room that can say, you know, uh, coach, this is where I've been. This is what I've experienced. And maybe I've experienced a little bit more than you, but Jeff Brom's very experienced. But Mark Hagan, I really like that hire. Purdue fans know him from his time, his tenure in West Lafayette. I think he spent 11 years under the Joe Tiller and Danny Hope years. This is a guy that's already shown he can recruit. Um, the defensive line guys at George Karloftis is the world. Of course, Purdue's second, second team All-American, preseason All-American guy at defensive ends already sung Mark Hagan's praises. I like the fact that you've got uh, Brad Hopkins also as a, linebacker again a guy that's been a head coach has has shown some uh, moxie from that standpoint and Ryan English too you look at guys that a guy that's been a head coach uh, comes in with a world of knowledge that might provide Purdue a little bit different direction a little bit uh, different uh, perspective Jeff Brown has talked openly Adam about being in that defensive staff room he talked about that at Monday's press conference and I, I'll take him at his word, but I think he also, he's an offensive guy. I think he needs these guys, he's stating the obvious here. Purdue needs to be uh, better defensively. When, when you look at the good Purdue teams over the years, uh, they've been good enough defensively to get the job done, whether you go back to the Rose Bowl team in 2000 yeah. or the team that uh, really was probably the best team under Joe Tiller in 2003. It's one of the best defenses in the Big Ten. Uh, I don't know that Purdue can get to that level this year, but they need to be be able to make some plays, get sacks, yeah. uh, make turnovers, things that just Purdue has not been able to do consistently in the Brahm era, in the Hazel era, in the Hope era. Yeah. It's been a long time since we've seen that uh, consistently out of Purdue's defense. For sure. Well, let's talk about that. Hopefully those will, yeah, those uh, staffing changes will make a significant uh, difference on the player's performance on the field. And let's talk about that this year, 2021 season. Let's talk about the team's uh, strengths. Yeah. And I think I said Brad Hopkins is the defensive line. I, I don't know what I was Brad thinking of Bryson Hopkins <laughs> and serious. Greg Lambert would be a better, better call on that. I'm, I'm getting old here, but I think, uh, but I apologize profusely. I apologize. I'll say this to Greg right now. I'm sorry. Brad Hopkins is a very good defense offensive lineman and is good on, on serious radio and his, and his son, Bryson was pretty salty tight end. For Purdue. Let me get that straight. So, um, uh, now, what did you ask me so I could re 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 refocus? <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. So, yeah, building off the coaches, that will hopefully we'll see some success from that off on the field as well. Let's talk about some of the, the team's strengths this year. Well, I think in Jeff Brom ball, it's going to start with the offense. I mean, that's that also is a, is a fundamental thing. David Bell is as good as it gets 
maybe in Purdue history, really in terms of a pure receiver, a guy that can go get the football. Uh, he's got as good a hands, makes plays, um, and has done it consistently. I still would say the catch he made again in the Indiana game in 2019, a loss for Purdue, still the best catch I've seen in, in I don't know, 55 years of watching games in Ross State Stadium. So uh, he's he's terrific. Payne Durham at tight end, I think, gives you a guy that uh, you've got a couple options at tight end that uh, make it pretty strong. Milton Wright, you know, big question. He, he really showed last year number zero, uh, a guy that uh, really showed some signs of being being a, an elite level player. He needs to be, in a, you know, close to an all Big Ten level player. I think if Purdue's going to have that that punch back and forth. The question on offense, you know, is can you can you block? I mean, it sounds simple, but you have there's depth is a is a concern on the offensive line. Uh, you know, we lost to what three or four players that lost because of medical reasons, really basically ended their careers. Uh, yes, Jeff Brown was able to go to the transfer portal and get Tyler Witt and, so, and Greg Long comes in and, and it really did a good job. Great thing that he came back this year, huge for the for the Purdue offensive line. But all those things have to go well. And then we talk about that thing called the quarterback. And uh, I like Jack Plummer very much. Uh, uh, you know, I know he's two and seven as a starter, but uh, he, he put the ball in the dime against to Payne Durham at Minnesota. Just didn't work out, didn't get you a win. Um, this is a guy that, you know, Jeff Brown, we really thought he, I, I personally thought Abe McConnell had, was the leader in the clubhouse. We just heard a lot of talk that way. Um, but then Jeff Brown really has focused on mobility back there in a, in a quarterback that can make plays with his feet. You know, the, the issue with Plummer can be, will he do it enough? You know, he's four to six times a game is what Jeff Brown talked about in terms of what he wants from him as a, as a, uh, a, as a runner. And he's a capable passer, and he can make plays in the passing game. He's very cerebral back there. And he's a guy that Jeff Brown, when he was recruited here, really drooled over. Uh, I think this is his chance. We'll see if he does it. <laughs> this is his chance to really, really shine and, and, and take a step forward. But, you know, Aiden O'Connell was very capable. He's won. What has he done? Four times, I think it is. He's led Purdue to a, a last-minute drive touchdown and a victory. Maybe it's just three. And Austin Burton's gotten a lot of talk because he has a lot of the same attributes that it sounds like the Jack Plummer's got, that uh, he can do it with his feet a little bit. So Purdue's got options in there, yeah. certainly in that in that room. Uh, and Michael Lamo also, the, the, the uh, redshirt freshman, is another guy that I think gives you a chance at yeah. that position to, to really um, – Really, you know, you've got depth. You seem to always need depth in that position. I think the Jeff Brown and company have got that in that room. Purdue's got to put up points. They've got to be exciting offensively. Some things that haven't been as good the last two years. I mean, haven't been uh, haven't been the wild and crazy guys, so to speak, uh, on offense for some reasons. One, they couldn't block, couldn't couldn't do the job at the offensive line. They've had some injuries. Obviously, Rondale Moore spent almost a year on on the on the bench. Uh, all those factors, you need to get back to being uh, a team that's hard to defend, a team that's a, a little bit out there in terms of you're not sure if you're the opposing defensive coordinator, what the Boilermakers are going to do. I think Jeff Brown has talked about that in the offseason. I expect to see a lot of that this year. You think the running uh, running game's gotten better to help open up the passing game this year? Well, that that's, you know, again, I think the offensive line, we'll see. I, I mean, I, I you know, how do you not like Xander Horvath? I mean, he got put up good numbers, really numbers that stood up in the conference last year in a shortened season. Um, 
you know, and, and certainly King Daru, who battled injuries all last year, never was 100 percent. But uh, uh, they, they seem to be I think they're serviceable, if not a little bit better. Samson James of Indiana. How crazy is that, Adam, that we're talking about a kid that was practicing for IU earlier in the fall camp and now is, is practicing for Purdue. I don't know as of, as of this recording whether he's going to be eligible. I'm going to kind of doubt he will be. But the second I say that, he'll be lining up as a, uh, on Saturday night. So we'll see. He's a guy that ran for 118 yards against Purdue. Purdue fans know that in 2019. This is a guy that uh, could, could be a little bit of a difference maker. You need probably two. You need some depth in that room. I think you need some, uh, some guys that can make people miss and, and do some things that maybe Horvath and Daru don't do as well, but they're very capable guys. So I think the running game should be good enough uh, to be competitive. Uh, and that uh, I think is probably in Jeff Brom's offense is enough uh, to, to, to work your way through the 2021 season, but we'll see. Any position battles still working themselves out? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question because I think the linebacker position, whether I think the question that Jeff Rahm answered on Monday, which I don't know that I believe, you know, I just don't know that things may change. No freshmen are going to be in the field. I think he, I don't know if he said that definitively in fairness to him. I think that that will be an interesting thing is whether Yanni Karloff just gets on the field, Jack Hurts Cross, also guys that Rahm actually did talk about in special teams. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the linebacking core, the health of the linebacking core, Jalen Alexander, a very talented guy that can make plays. Purdue's got to be good in that position. That's, and uh, certainly that in replacing Derek Barnes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Demarcus Mitchell gives you a lot to uh, whether he's kind of a, a rush end or a, or a linebacker. He's got to make some plays. Purdue just needs play, play, playmakers. And we really haven't talked about the transfer portal. You know, Purdue had, a, had over 10 guys uh, that, have, that have come in. And even I think one today that may have come back. And I think that's uh, that will be a great storyline for just about every team in college football is what guys make a difference. You know, mm-hmm. OC brothers at, the, at linebacker. We've talked about him a lot. Purdue needs help in the secondary. They've gotten some help back there uh, with a couple transfer portal guys. This is uh, going to all tell a story that we really don't know how that's going to blend, but uh, you have to hope. And of course, Brock Thompson, also the receiver from Marshall, is a guy that I think Jeff Brom expects to be in the rotation. Uh, that's what's going to make it kind of fun to see because yeah. I think, uh, you know, we watched the first week of practice. That was it. And uh, so we don't know what we're really going to see. And we'll know a lot more come Saturday night at seven o'clock. Your uh, biggest concerns or uh, weaknesses, do you think? Well, I think depth is always a concern. I think the offensive line, I think you got to stay healthy in that environment. Um, I think you got to get out of the box here and have confidence early. Um, you know, if you don't do that, you know, Oregon State produces a seven point favorite or whatever that number mm-hmm. is. Purdue should, could, I should say, I don't say should, could win four out of its first five. I think if you, if you do that, you've got a great chance at the bowl game. But I'm always concerned about depth. I'm also concerned uh on you know it's hard to know the psych psychological how these teams are going to be just uh you know they've all been through a lot from a pandemic yeah. standpoint uh it's just going to be different and how the teams that adjust best the coaches that adjust best uh how well that happens i'm very confident in Purdue's defensive staff in terms of being a, a cohesive unit that i'm confident in but 
how is it all going to work in the game and what's going to happen when the first uh, lightning bolt happens and something yeah. doesn't go your way. That's what we're going to see. I think Purdue's got a mature team in some ways. Uh, and I think that uh, that gives it uh, a chance to be competitive, be very competitive in, in a division that I still think, even though Wisconsin and Iowa, maybe, uh, you know, are the two favorites in that division, that you can be competitive. You beat Iowa last year. You didn't play Wisconsin. Should have beat Wisconsin two years ago. Mm -hmm. I, I understand things are different, but uh, I, there really isn't a team in that division. Then you look at somebody like Illinois, who showed that, uh, you know, that, uh, that they're going to be Brett Bielema. I think they're going to be something to deal with. It's that's what makes it interesting, Adam. Is we just don't know for sure. Uh, before we move on to the kind of the season here, uh, any breakout player? You, you see a guy having just a breakout season? Well, I you know I think that uh, T.J. Sheffield is a guy that is a, that, uh, that that has been talked about that needs to have that type of year. Mm -hmm. um, Milton Wright, I think, though he showed signs of it last year, certainly I think you want him to become a real real force uh, a guy that really makes uh, a great tandem with David Bell uh, I think those two guys you know George Karloftis you know I know he's a second team All-American he's presumed to be in a, a draft pick in the NFL next year in the first round but in all honesty um, and, and I'm not being critical of George I'm just saying we saw a freshman season who he's very good he's an all big freshman first team all big 10 freshman um, is he going to be great that's going to be a great question. And so I would say that if George, George comes in and, and, and you hate to, it's easy to compare him to the Ryan Kerrigan's of the world, but if he comes in and is, and is close to productive as Kerrigan was, which is one of the most productive seasons in the history of uh, Purdue defensive ends in Ryan Kerrigan in 2010. But if George comes in and Purdue can get a pass rush, and George is going to have a lot to do with that, uh, whether he's going to be the proverbial decoy or the guy that, that holds up three different offensive linemen to block him and allows it for somebody else. But I think he needs to be, a, even though he's predicted to be such, he needs to be a breakout guy. He needs to be a, a second-team All-American, first-team All-American level player. Here's a guy that personally I think I knew him in high school a little bit, a guy that's really matured. He showed leadership. He's done all the right things, mm -hmm. but that's the, that's going to be a question of a guy that uh, it sounds funny to say that, but I want to see him break out and be a, be an all American type player. I think Purdue absolutely needs that. If it's going to do the do the job defensively that it hopes. Right on. And I think I heard somewhere the other day that he thinks he's going to get double digit sacks this year. So, I mean, if he does that, well, that, that that'll go a long way. I think it's some success on the field. That's the wonderful world of name, image, and likeness. These guys are going out and doing interviews and talking like they're in the NFL. I'm not being critical of it, but they do things like that. They do that that they don't say to the regular us regular media. But you know, George is confident. Um, he's so talented, and that's and I think the thing that I've been most impressed about George is what we've heard and understood is he's balanced that that real talent with being a good locker room guy, being a leader, showing others how what it takes. He's put the effort in the weight room. He talked extensively uh, to the Big Ten Network about, you know, what it took as a in the strength program, what the, the, that how difficult that was for him. And he's really good at it. Um, that, that to me impressed me as a guy that understands leadership. And this team needs that. It, you know, when you're trying to turn around a, a program that really, you know, in 17 and 18, everybody was pretty excited yeah. all the way through, maybe to the, to the first quarter of the, uh, of the uh, uh, the bowl game, that you know that part is is uh, you got to get that back, and that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work in the shadows to get that done. 
That's for sure. But you kind of mentioned the possible start. You think they could maybe get off to four and one start possible. Let's talk about what expectations are for the season. What are you, at least from your perspective? Well, I think Jeff Brom and company have, you know, outside of last year against Iowa, they have um, uh, to some extent, it's, you know, they didn't struggle really against Louisville in his first game in 17. They outplayed the, uh, what people expected. They were a large, almost a three touchdown underdog and took, and took the Cardinals to uh, to to the to the mat in that game before losing, uh, but in eighteen you lose the game against Northwestern, and nineteen you, you lose the game. Really, probably the game that has really stung with Purdue, and that's the Nevada game. Uh, in twenty, though, you win at Iowa, so uh, or win against Iowa, I should say. So, you know, I just think that this team needs to to get off the deck, uh, and you have a chance to do so. Oregon State is a very similar situation to Purdue where they beat Oregon last year. I think Oregon was ranked ninth when they, when the, when the Beavers beat the Ducks and that's like Purdue beating Indiana times two uh, in terms of, in terms of rivalry. And I think that, uh, that, you know, that's a game you just don't know. Uh, I think you kind of, I don't mean to be, well, I'm going to be flipping it. Adam, you and I and nine other guys might be able to have a competitive game, but that's a dangerous thing to say because <laughs> UConn's just getting back to playing uh, they yes, they got shut out 45 love by Fresno and got just really uh, manhandled. But, you know, they got a couple of weeks to get ready for Purdue. And and that will be a, and it always a challenge on the road. But, you know, you've on paper, Minnesota, Illinois and then Minnesota. Or I think I, I got to write that to memory. That's correct. I believe Illinois looks a little bit different, but I don't even dismiss Purdue and down the road about uh, with Iowa, um, even though that game's uh, going to be away from home. What are reasonable expectations? I think Jeff Brown needs to get to a bowl game. I think he, if he were on this call, he would say the same thing. Uh, are the odds makers saying that? They're kind of, you know, I think it's five and a half in Vegas for victories. That's not enough to get to a bowl. Uh, Purdue needs to get the job done. Uh, but that starts by taking care of business and starting faster than maybe it has uh, at times under Coach Jeff Brown. For sure. I was kind of looking at the schedule, not that my opinion really matters or anything like that. Well, but your opinion matters a lot. Go ahead. <laughs> I had kind of four wins, four losses jotted down that I feel real should go that way. And then my 50-50 games were the one at Nebraska, home against Michigan State the following week, at Northwestern, and then home against Indiana there at the end of the season, just only because of how well Indiana's gotten over the last couple of years. Those 50-50 games, I feel can go in there. Either way, can go anywhere from a four and eight season to an eight and four season. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think you're. I think you're on to something there. I do think that, uh, uh, though, it makes me nervous when I put games like Illinois and Minnesota in the win column. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that those are all winnable games. Michigan State uh, is Mel Tucker's struggled in year one. Kind of hard to tell. They had all kinds of COVID issues up there. Um, I don't know that uh, that uh, you know I, that's a game that Purdue should win. But yeah, I think there's a swing. I think they're, you know, it's going to be tough to beat Ohio. It's going to be darn near impossible to beat Ohio State on the road. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Wisconsin's really rough. Notre Dame, fun. I'm glad they're back on the schedule. I'm an old yeah. guy. I like that game, uh, even if you don't get the job done. But uh, th those are three really tough games on paper. Certainly Ohio State, Notre Dame, I would say definitely. Uh, but the rest of it is all, it's all possible. You got Wisconsin at home, right, on the 23rd yep. of October. Um, you just got to hold serve, but you can't beat yourself. And I think yeah. that's the one other thing that from a discipline standpoint, uh, Purdue has to be really, really good in that area. Uh, they kind of quit shooting itself in the foot uh, mm -hmm. or in the rear end with respect to penalties. 
Not that that was a huge problem last year, but, but that has been a problem over time. You know, you need to be disciplined. You need to be just really crisp. And that's, what's going to be the storyline. A lot of these teams we talked about in the week zero games who came out and did what they thought they could do. UCLA did against Hawaii and Illinois did against Nebraska. And, you know, yeah, I agree that Nebraska, who knows when Nebraska season is going to go. And I think you have a chance to win in Lincoln. Jeff Brown has done that. And he did yeah. what did that in 18. So uh, it's, it's, it's doable. It's just, again, you got to keep your eye on the ball, so to speak, and, and just take care of it to literally, literally one possession at a time. Right. A game up at South Bend will be interesting because I believe if I'm correct, Drew Brees will be on the call for NBC yeah. for that game. So that'll be fun to listen to him call in that game. Yeah, I, I, I look forward to that because Drew is the consummate professional. Mm-hmm. He will not be able to hide his Purdue allegiance because <laughs> he never has. Um, but I always get a kick out of people to watch analysts and they think they're homers or they have some outcome in the game. Drew will be prepared. He will give you insight uh, that I we probably don't even know at Golden Black about. I'll be, I'll be listening to it uh, or watching him because he'll have good insight to both Jeff Brom and to what Notre Dame is going to bring to the table. And I think he'll I would be Drew. Drew hasn't been. He's been good at just about everything he's done in his life, and I bet you he'll be really good at that. And uh, probably a good match for Notre Dame, to be honest. And uh, yeah, it'll be takes some getting used to. People got to understand just because he's the color analyst in that game, he's not rooting for Notre Dame. Don't you know? He's just he's just doing his job. <laughs> now I'm sure he's going to have an affinity for for uh, uh, you know Coach Kelly's team. And what they're about, I, I'm sure he'll develop that because he'll be around at some. Yeah. But but uh, Drew Brees is the boilermaker, and I don't think that changes. <laughs> um, Want to talk about too? You know, we obviously the team hopefully benefits from a non-conference schedule this year, as, as well as finally getting uh, fans, including that student section you mentioned, uh, back in uh, Ross Aid this year. That help you at home? It can't hurt. Um, I think it was a strange, strange deal last year. Um, you know, and, and, and I don't think that was the reason because both teams are playing in front of empty crowds, but I thought Purdue against Rutgers and Nebraska, both games last year at home, that just, it was flat. And there were reasons for that maybe that we may not, not even be aware of, but yeah, I think the home crowd gives you every chance to have a, just a, a dynamic situation. Uh, certainly on Saturday night, I think a Labor Day weekend, you're going to have uh, a lot of students there. Heck, they, Adam, they sold out or they, they had over 2,300 people, students, uh, freshmen, a lot of them at this women's soccer match to open mm-hmm. its season. So uh, there seems to be a lot of pent up, pent up uh, demand for that. That's stating the obvious. And I think Purdue will have a big home, home field advantage. And Oregon, yeah, they're not going to have to play a noon start traveling from the, yeah. from the West Coast, but uh, they'll be in their normal time zone. Oregon is capable. Uh, Oregon State, I should say, and I do think that that's uh, that will be a, a challenge for Purdue. But uh, I think the home home crowd, I think it'll be a really good positive thing, as it should be. Yeah, it's going to be exciting, possibly in goosebumps as you watch the crowd, uh, watch the team take the uh, field with the crowd just roaring. You miss that. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think with all the what we've been to through and what we're still going through with this pandemic, I do think that that's uh, hard to dismiss. That I, mm-hmm. I think it's an emotional time. Uh, I think that uh, uh, I even think it'll be that way for the players, not necessarily with how the crowd reacts, but just the fact that what they've all, what everybody's been, what the society has been through. We all hope for a smooth fall. I don't know. We hope that that's all going to happen and we're going to be able to have a, have a season, the entire season with fans. 
Uh, I think every everything is trying to be done that way. Uh, but it's an emotional thing because we've all lived without it. We've lived out without a lot of things. Uh, there's been uh, uh, difficulty, tragedy in families, even in the Purdue family. And that uh, that is all things that I think when you watch that team come on the field or you have that uh, first touchdown, uh, that those are the kind of thoughts that will go, go into this because this is obviously an unprecedented time in the history of the world. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can't wait. Can't wait for Saturday night. I want to jump backwards a little bit. We talked about uh, – goals or expectations this year uh two-part question here do you think coach Brom is on the hot seat and if not what record this year would put him on that well I, I think a couple things and I've told we've talked about this as a staff Jeff Brom's contract goes to 2025 um he's well compensated that's been well documented he's he's like what the eighth highest paid coach or whatever that survey said this week uh, I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, and, and, and I'm not being flippant about that. I just think the market to, has changed uh, in, in a light that, uh, you know, if, if Jeff wanted to go someplace else, uh, the money may not even be there because of COVID. A lot of athletic departments are really reeling. We're a long way away from that. Uh, uh, I think you, I think Jeff Brown's got the, is, is going to be incumbent on him to, to get, get the foundation of this program back and uh, there'll be gnashing of teeth. If you don't get to a, if you only win four games this year, absolutely. The fan base would like wants, wants to win games. The coaching staff wants to win games. Jeff Brown. One thing I do know about him in my five years of being around him is he's, he's as a competitive, a guy almost to a fault sometimes. And, and I think at that, uh, I think a big storyline this year is how, and you may not know, we're not going to know how it is because we're not sitting in the staff rooms or, seeing how he administrates his football team, but how he takes his team to the next level or gets his level. That's one of the hardest thing in sports is to, to when things go well early and then they don't is to get it back to a level where you have confidence and, and things that uh, make things go your way. I don't think Jeff Brown's lost any confidence in his ability to coach a football team, but that has to work uh, all the way down the line with his team. So he, I, I don't look, I just don't, and I don't mean to, I think there'll be some angst among the fans without a question if they don't get to 500 this year. And Jeff Brown would say the same thing, I think, if he were sitting here. But uh, is he going anywhere? No. Uh, and uh, some fans that think, well, he wins three games, the Purdue's going to be looking for a place. Just who in the heck's going to buy him out? Sure. And, right. and, 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 I, and I don't, you know, it's silly to be talking about that really in the first game of the year, but uh, it does get talked about. And, mm-hmm. I, and Jeff Brown is going to work like Dickens and his staff will do that to try to right the ship. And, yeah. you know, he's just he's been a competitor uh, all the way back to uh, his high school days and what he did at Louisville. And even though that the famous XFL video that uh, <laughs> uh, is what he's about. So yeah. uh, he, he's going he'll work to get it done. He needs to fine tune what he's doing uh, and and get it all going in the right thing in that right direction. And I think he thinks he's made that move with his defensive staff. And I think he's got enough talent. Uh, he believes that uh, Purdue can win enough games to be competitive uh, uh, throughout the course of the season for a, for a good bowl game. Yeah, right on. I, I and I agree with you 100. percent And I'll even go on record and saying I think he is the right guy for the job. Again, I dismissed last season because of just everything going on, and then. You go back to that 2019 season where, again, we like we've already talked about it, just so snake bit with injuries that could have, you know, you don't lose. Even if you have Rondell and Elijah, you know, alone back, you know, I think the season takes a totally different direction. So this year will be good uh, to see, hopefully with a fully healthy 
team this year to see what he does, especially with a lot of those guys who are juniors. Now you go back to that 2019 season where I think we had what, like 22 straight touchdowns by a freshman recorded by a freshman. So yeah, those guys are a lot older now. So let's see if they can continue that production on the field this year. Yeah. That's going to be a storyline how much this team matures, how much this program matures. And, uh, you know, we'll find out starting and they'll be tested. There'll be things that aren't going to go right. And you may, you may take your lumps in a couple of situations, but uh, it's how Purdue responds. And, uh, you know, you always look at that Notre Dame game in week three that, uh, you know, Purdue will be a 17, 20 point underdog in that game in all likelihood. You know, but how, what do you learn from that game? Mm-hmm. What do you learn in that great environment in South Bend? Uh, you know, you don't go in there expecting to lose. I'm not saying that, but you do go in there expecting to get something out of it. Yeah. And what they get out of games like that. And even against Ohio State, uh, where there'll be a prohibitive underdog, barring anything unforeseen. Uh, again, what do you gain from those games? Do you learn how that that competitive nature that that uh, Jeff Brom needs to have? Uh, I think to be successful, that's what you need to see. You need to you need to see a team that's fighting till the end. I think his teams historically, for the most part, have done that. Last year might have been a little bit different, but that was, you know, who knows where they were in COVID. And that's the thing they have to have. They have to put, they have to play the last whistle in every situation. If they do that, uh, you know, I think they can let the chips fall where they may. And I think you'll have a successful enough season. For sure. Well, we touched on it a little bit. So let's, let's talk about the Saturday night's game against Oregon State. They only played once in history back in 1967. Oregon State won that one 22-14. Obviously, a lot of years have passed since then. What um, what are the keys to this game that uh, helped Purdue? You mentioned earlier Purdue is a seven-point favorite as of right now uh, going into that game. What do they need to do to come out on top? Well, I hate to admit, or, I, or I'm glad to admit that I was at that game at age seven uh, in 1967. And it's really quite a – we're going to write a story on our site this week. Really a game of great historical significance to Purdue because – Purdue was ranked second in the country at that time. Mm-hmm. Oregon State comes in and beats Purdue in a shocking upset. The Oregon State actually, I think, was the only team in NCAA or in college football history to beat three teams number ranked second or higher. They beat USC, who was ranked first in UCLA. They tied them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were 2-0-1. Anyway, that was not a bad Oregon State team, but I still am reeling from that game. And I, that's what, uh, 54 years ago. So I need to get over it. Uh, these guys don't have any clue and it means nothing. What does Oregon State bring to the table? They bring a team that, uh, uh, again, uh, showed we're in every game last year. Uh, I think is the team that's got an offense that, uh, uh, that or a team that's got experience in the offense and defensive lines. And that makes them dangerous. Now, one of the great misnomers of this season is talking about starters returning because with COVID, anybody can return. Uh, so, but, but I think Oregon state's got, uh, if they can get their quarterback situation, they like to run the football. They like to play physical. They've got a, a running back from South Carolina that can bring them, they bring them, uh, some talent. They've got, uh, you know, a transfer from, from Uke or from Colorado that isn't going to win the job. We don't think, uh, but they've got some players and they're like Purdue. I mean, they're tired of, you know, they haven't been to a bowl game uh, since 2000, since the Mike Riley era of 2013. They're going to come in hungry. The Pac-12, the Pac I think, just based on a UCLA's win uh, and the fact that UCLA plays LSU, they're trying to make a statement as well with this whole alliance stuff. <laughs> These Pac-12 uh, Big Ten games become even uh, more important. So, you know, that's what's going to make it interesting for them. Uh, they've got some 
They've got enough talent defensively. They gave up a lot of points last year, but they've got a lot of guys returning. I think they gave up over 33 points a game and over 400 yards defensively. But this is a team, again, a little bit uh, you wipe the slate clean. They did beat out, like I said, ninth-ranked Oregon, and they were in every game last year. So that uh, should get Purdue's attention. Purdue wins this game if what? Well, I just think in game one, uh, you don't lay the ball on the floor, so to speak, and mm-hmm. and, and and you take care of the turn. You win the turnover battle. You win. I, I, I think also – if Purdue's defense can do the job and slow Oregon State's run game down uh, and just, you know, Oregon State's got some talent at, at the wideouts as well. But I do think that, uh, uh, you know, you just can control yourself and, 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 and get into the game uh, and, and just kind of control how, how things are proceeding. I think Purdue wins, maybe not easily. It should be an co- interesting game, but I think Purdue will be in, in good shape if they can do that. But the question is, again, just, we just don't know for sure because it's been a while since we've really seen this type of environment. For sure. Yeah, I can't wait for uh, 7 o'clock on Friday night to get here. It can't get here fast enough, but it'll be here before we know it is at the same time, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And I'm going to correct you on one thing. It's Saturday night. I keep thinking it's Friday night, too. but it's Saturday Friday night. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's all right. I got Brad Hopkins on the brain, too. So, um, you know, I, I think that's right. I think that that's the, that's the storyline is that uh, – uh, you know, you want to get off to a good start and you want to get back to playing Brown football, which we saw a lot in 17 and 18. And if that can happen, you know, uh, Purdue's got a chance to have a really good season. I agree. Yeah. And I think a one and no start goes a long way for fan excitement and just, you know, momentum. You talk about momentum and, and confidence and how these guys respond to adversity. Starting off one and no can go a long way. Yeah. I think it's almost a must in terms of that. I mean, you just, you want to get off to a good start and, uh, and, uh, you know, anything can happen. I mean, I'm sure Nebraska right now is trying to figure out, you know, everybody's completely discounting them. And, and that would happen to Purdue if the Boilermakers lost to Oregon State. But uh, it is, as Jeff Brom said, and it's true, it really is true. It's a week-to-week proposition. And you got to tee it up every, every week. Uh, but it would sure be a heck of a lot better to uh, be rolling into that game in Iowa City uh, on October the 16th with a 4-1 and record. Uh, that would make you feel a lot different than uh, anything anything less than that. Right on. All right. Well, Alan, hey, thank you again uh, just for your insight. I love having you on the podcast and just uh, you hearing all your knowledge about uh, all things Purdue and Purdue sports. And anybody who's listening or watching this episode, goldenblack.com is the website. Just tremendous articles and in-depth coverage there that you guys can uh, check out. Again, goldenblack.com. I'll also include that link on the web article for for you guys to check out. Alan, hey, let's go. Boiler we'll, right? we'll do this again. Yeah, we'll have some fun and maybe we'll be talking about a, a run to a really good bowl game come uh, mid to late October. That would be a fun thing to be talking about. But uh, yeah, it's a uh, uh, college sports is one of the great things this, this country has going for it. And and uh, we're going to we're going to look forward to having that uh, celebration come Saturday night. That's for sure. We definitely need this uh, distraction with everything else going on. Yeah, so. no question. That's what I'm looking forward to. Certainly. <laughs> Awesome, Alan. Hey, thank you so much for your time. I always appreciate it. All right, Adam. Have a good one. Thanks so much for having me on. All right. Take care. Boiler up. A reminder, you can follow the Full Steam Ahead podcast on Twitter at Full Steam Pod. And you can always listen to, like, comment, subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. Thanks again for listening to the Full Steam Ahead podcast. Until next time, I'm Adam Bartels.